Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. So we're coming to the end of Romans. It's one of the most incredible books ever written. Today in Romans 15, Paul shows us how the gospel has affected and shaped his personal goals in life. And it's kind of this idea, because if the gospel is true, what makes life meaningful will be different than how our culture tries to persuade us to live. So the main question of today is, what makes life purposeful? What makes it meaningful? What makes it valuable? How should we live our time? Let's begin with a story shared by pastor and author John Piper. It's a little bit of an older story, but he shared this in his pulpit one day. He got up years ago and said, three weeks ago, he he said this. We got word in the church that Ruby Ellison and uh, Laura Edwards had both been killed in the Cameroon. He goes on and talking to his congregation saying, Ruby was over 80, single all of her life, poured her life out for one great thing to make Jesus known among the unreached, poor, and sick of the world. And Laura uh, was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old at the time and, and, and serving by Ruby's side in Cameroon. He goes on to say that the brakes failed and the car went over the cliff and they were both killed instantly. And then he's standing before his congregation and he asks his people this question. Were their lives wasted? Is their story just a sad tragedy of two older ladies who wasted their lives working in the wrong place, no gain for them, no gain for their families, the wrong thing, wrong time? And the crowd seemed hesitant, he said, when he asked that, a little bit confused, and then a few of them started yelling back, no. And he said, I echoed that. He says, no, that's not a tragedy. And then Piper went on to say, but I will tell you what is. And he pulled out a page from a travel magazine, and he read this story. It was about Bob and Penny who took early retirement for their jobs in the Northeast to live, where they lived uh, for many years. They were 59 and 51, and now they lived in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler playing softball and collecting shells. And Piper continued to say this to his congregation. He says, don't get sucked into the American dream. When you come to the end of your life, your one and only life, don't let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be, I collected shells. Lord, see all my shells. He said that is the true, tra- true tragedy. Now, what thoughts and feelings does that bring up for you? I hesitated in sharing that story because it brings out conflicting emotions and thoughts, and I, I don't want to manipulate you through shame about your desires about wanting to retire and enjoy life. I think it's fine to want to retire and enjoy life. Yet I do want us to explore our hearts. How are you doing in the midst of all the pressures of the billions of dollars spent trying to persuade you to embrace the American dream as a way to live? Because I think we all want our lives, even in our retirement years, to be about something more significant than just collecting shells. And going out on a boat on the water. This story helps us get at the question that Paul is actually wanting us to explore here in Romans 15. He wants us to explore this question in light of the gospel. What makes life well lived? What is the difference between a wasted life and a purposeful life? And what's your purpose? 
There's some things I hear people say when you ask the question, what's their purpose? They say, I want to be a great doctor who helps cure cancer. I want to help people in need. I want to teach my kids and be a great parent. I want to do what I love so I never feel like I'm working. I I want to own my own business so I can be my own boss and have my own rules and set my own schedule. I, I just want to make a good living so I can take care of my family. And honestly, all of those things are great. There's nothing wrong with those answers. Yet have you asked yourself how well your life goals line up with Scripture? Have you asked yourself and asked God how your ambitions and what they line up with God's agenda and how he created you and what he wants you to do in life? Where does your energy and your time go? God has made you to want to be connected to something bigger than yourself, to make a difference bigger than yourself. It is a huge desire in our world today to find meaning in what we do, to make our jobs more than just about money. People more than ever want to find meaning and purpose in what they do. And some of us do that by investing in our whole career, our company, putting all of our energy into that, or engaging in politics, or in a hobby, or a sports team, or a community organization, or a cause. We see this Searching all the time. We see it in people as famous as Tom Brady. Remember this 40-year-old guy that we don't like to talk about being from Ohio because he was from Michigan, but yet he was kind of impressive, you know, and kind of making us all jealous and wondering whether we can get in shape after 40. So Brady was asked after he won his, by 60 minutes after he won his third Super Bowl, what have you learned about yourself? And he said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? Maybe a lot of people out there would say, hey, man, this is what it is. You've reached your goal, your dream, your life. He says, me, I think, God, there has to be something more than this. What else is there for me? And the interviewer responded saying, well, what have you discovered about the answer? And if you see the interview, you see Brady smiling, and then the smile fades off his face, and he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. See, to Brady and all of us, Paul tells us the answer to what we long for and search for is found in the gospel. The gospel helps us live a life with purpose that has depth and meaning. The kind we were created for. God made you to be a part of his mission on earth. So how does your life fit into the great story of God's mission in our world? It's this mission that is God's heart, that no one should perish, that all would come to repentance and know God and experience how loved they are and how good God created them to be. Now, to be clear, Paul's calling is not the same as yours and mine. And yet how Paul shares about his ambition in his life and his calling in chapter 15 of Romans helps us find ours. So let's start reading where he describes his calling, Romans 15 Verse 14, he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. 
to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. So... Paul understood that God had given him grace to be a minister to the Gentiles. And God also gives each and every one of us here grace for a purpose within the relationships which he has called us to live life in. Paul goes on and says, So that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, which is a mind-blowing thing because we are those Gentiles who are an offering to God and are sanctified, we are set apart by the Holy Spirit. And don't you love Paul's passion? The ambition, this calling was not just about duty. He says, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service. In other words, I obey and I do this because I'm grateful, not to gain acceptance. Paul is gratefulness to Jesus because is what caused him to give his life as an offering. And Paul reveals more of the depth of his understanding of his purpose by telling us that all that matters to him is what Christ has accomplished through him in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what was said and done. He doesn't worry about talking about all the leadership accolades he had earlier in life. It's all about the impact of the kingdom through his life. And in verse 20, Paul reveals... He knew the specific focus of his calling was to preach Christ to the Gentiles in places where Christ had not been heard. His name had not been heard. He was built and wired by God to go to the hardest places, the newest places, the places that were unreached. Now, by understanding this purpose, it helped Paul make decisions. It was easier to turn down good opportunities for Paul because he knew where he was to focus his energy. And we're to grow in that kind of discernment as well about where God wants us to focus our energy. So let's camp on how Paul shows us what a life shaped by the gospel looks like. He essentially says it looks like to obey God by what I have said and done. The gospel-shaped life allows God to be seen in what we say and what we do. See, Paul is describing what in our modern literature right now and in the Christian world is called spiritual transformation. That not only our words but our actions reflect who God is. And thereby we clearly see that Paul's goal in evangelism is not merely some raise-your-hand kind of an altar call or conversion experience, but spiritual transformation was the intention. It doesn't stop at the altar. It goes on from there. Paul wants completely changed lives. He wants people who will be fully devoted to following Jesus and his ways in every arena of their life. Paul tells us he won people to God by his words and his actions. 
So Paul is saying the gospel is so much more than just saying words. It includes us saying words, but our lives need to communicate the gospel message. And this is what what it means for us to be spiritually transformed, that the gospel becomes incarnational in us. It becomes lived out in our flesh. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul describes how living the gospel incarnationally affects how we evangelize, how we reach people. He says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Understanding, conviction is understanding what is right, best, good, and true. You know how we lived among you, he goes on to say, for your sake, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We were delighted to share not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Isn't that powerful and beautiful? A little convicting? Tim Keller speaks to this incarnational living of the gospel, saying it this way. He says, We are not only to tell people the gospel, but to embody it in our attitudes and relationships. We are to invite and, in a sense, dare people to look into us deeply and see what a human life rearranged by the gospel looks like. Again, we've talked about this plenty. That's not about you being so much better than other people. That's not about self-righteousness. That's about you wherever you are at receiving God's love and operating out of that love no matter how messed up you are. The people need to see you have that kind of honesty and openness and vulnerability and reliance on the Holy Spirit no matter where you are in life. And Paul welcomed that gaze on him. The question is, do we welcome that gaze on our lives? To embody the gospel in our words and actions describes what spiritual transformation is all about. Now, earlier this year, we did a series on spiritual transformation. And the real question that came out of this, by what and by whom are we being transformed? Because the reality is, we are all being spiritually transformed all the time. Even if we never read the Bible, never pray, are never in church, we are being spiritually transformed by what we see, by who we are around, by what we think about. The spiritual transformation Paul is talking about is the process of Christ being formed in us, of us becoming more Christ-like in our emotions, our attitudes, our thoughts, our behaviors, the way we love, the way we deal with conflict. However, I think when we talk about purpose and mission in our lives without understanding spiritual transformation, we tend to get messed up. I know I have in the past. I believe I'm all to be all about God's mission for the world. But when I hear Paul pouring out his life and giving his all, it can kind of trigger you and make you feel overwhelmed. I could never do that because when I try or think about being like Paul, it just makes me feel burned out. And if I try it, I do get burned out. 
Maybe it's because Paul seems like superhuman to us. Maybe he seems bigger than life to us. I mean, after over 10 years, he preaches the gospel and teaches all over, traveling up to 20 miles a day on foot, writing nearly half of the New Testament, trained leaders and started churches. He was imprisoned on multiple times for his faith. He's been shipwrecked. He's gone without food. He was constantly on the move in danger from Jews and Gentiles who were opposing him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Now this 39 lashes he got is the same scourging that Jesus went through. Historical records say that many, many of the people who got those lashings died for them. And he went through it five times. On top of that, he was beaten with rods. And another time he was stoned and left for dead. Think about this. This would have taken months to recover from physically. His body would never be the same after these experiences. And yet he says in Galatians that he bears all the scars of Jesus on my body, meaning if you ask Paul how committed he was to following Jesus, he probably would have pulled his shirt up and shown you his scars. And this kind of life is intimidating for us, isn't it? It can trigger us to feel pressure to perform. I need to step up my game. I need to get my act together and lay this, lay, lay my life down. So Wendy and I were talking about this uh, a couple months ago and it, how it reminds us of the differences between she and I, even as we talked about this. So if you know the Enneagram, I am probably likely somewhere in the eight range on the Enneagram. When I see a goal, I go for it. I I, I generally make decisions uh, fairly assertively and fairly easily most of the time. An eight sometimes is described as a huge snowplow, the one who, when you're in a huge snowstorm, the snowplow will make their way through it despite the obstacles. They get the job done. That said, an eight being a snowplow, you might want to stay behind them or you might not want to be in front of them or you might not want to be beside them while while they're pushing the snow, right? And that can be a strength. I mean, I'm comfortable facing a storm or a problem or a conflict with lots of unknowns where you can't see the end or even define the problem clearly, and I'm comfortable going into that situation, finding my way through it. But sometimes that assertiveness can lead me to erring on the side of doing instead of being and forgetting to enjoy and rest and celebrate life. Anybody can relate to that? Some of you I know are workaholics. You probably can relate to that really well, right? Purpose and problem-solving is what motivates me. Wendy's not wired quite the same way, and that can sometimes lead to misunderstandings and, and conflict for us. A while back, Wendy initiated a conversation with me that I thought was a pure theological question. She said, Is it true that God loves us even if we never do another thing for Him? We've all heard ministers say that. It's a common phrase said from the pulpit. We've heard that in messages all the time. And there is a measure of truth in that. But it also tends to miscommunicate and lose balance. So my response was, well, technically you can't separate actions from your faith. Faith will always result in doing things. That didn't go real well in the conversation because what I was not paying attention to is at that moment she was really, really tired and having a lot of demands, and she was going, can I just say no and rest? Or do I just have to keep going? 
And I wasn't perceiving the level of tiredness and the struggle that she had at that moment several months ago. I should, I should have just said what Paul said. I should have said to her, you know what Romans 8 says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. But I think this struggle with tiredness regarding purpose and mission for God comes up not just for Wendy and I, but for all of us in the church especially. I mean, it's a huge red flag, I think, at times because there's such a high burnout factor in seeing in so many people falling away from their faith, even Christian leaders, because they just give and give and give and they burn out. We can become so driven that we can become tired and disillusioned. Many, maybe all of us, near that point at some point in our lives. And how do we get there? I think there are many, many reasons. Maybe some of it is due to the emphasis that the baby boomer regeneration had, of which I'm kind of on the tail end, that, that had church so focused upon, upon results that too often it cost our souls by working too hard and dying in our souls. I think it's a lot of other things that contribute to it. Yet we see Paul being incredibly purposeful but not burned out. He's intentionally, intensely passionate. But this is the key. He leads out of a place in his soul that isn't from his head and isn't from unbridled passion for activism or performance-oriented drivenness or approval of others. See, too many have come to believe that you can't live life like the Bible asks us to in purpose, laying down your life in love and still have a healthy personal life. And that's not true. If we look at what Paul shares, he helps us see how there's a different way to be focused on mission so that we don't get burned out. And that way is to embrace both mission and spiritual transformation. Because if we do mission without spiritual transformation, people will see the need and they will just march to the need and do and do and do and inevitably they will burn out and end up on the sidelines. See, understanding and engaging spiritual transformation is critical to not getting tripped up by the performance orientation that can so easily lead us to being tired and burned out in life. I know that when I start talking about spiritual transformation, though, some of you think it's about just having lots of quiet time by yourself with God and it involves a lot of narcissistic navel-gazing. Now, truth is, we do need healthy rhythms of personal devotions and self-reflection. But the focus is simply staying involved with our souls so that we are being formed in Christ, becoming more like Him, staying filled and connected to God and His love in a way that deepens our yes to God. It helps us navigate the tension between being and doing. Spiritual transformation is, is similar to how the acorn seed is planted. It grows into a tree and it glorifies God by being that tree. And as we as human beings glorify God as we grow, as we are transformed by the Holy Spirit to be the best version of who God made us to be. This is how we glorify God. We intentionally practice disciplines like silence and prayer and reading the Bible and community that help keep us grounded where God is more fully at the center of our being. 
where we are more aware of not how we don't get stuck in our own garbage and sin and so that we can live more fully and be who God has called us to be. See, the person of Christ, the nature of Jesus is being formed in us. And what is being formed in us is love. And it's not the sentimental, sloppy kind of love that we see in our world. This love is the strongest force in the world, the only thing that can save us. It is the love of Jesus laying down his life for us to free us so that we can receive love, that we can be changed and that we can give love in the way he wants us to. Spiritual transformation allows Christ's love to be formed in us. And that's why there's no separation between love and action. We love because we're so loved. Therefore, part of this transformation will always have to do with laying down our lives in order to care for the world that Jesus so loves so much. See, if the love Jesus has for the world is not being formed in us through thoughts and actions, we may not be allowing the Holy Spirit into our lives to transform us. So being transformed leads us to being involved in God's mission, but we cannot do mission on our own. Our own human action is never enough. You will never be enough. I will never be enough. And that's where the Holy Spirit must meet us and do in the world what we cannot do on our own. So we're driven back constantly to this dependency upon God and a return to the place of transformation that says, God, I'm not enough for this situation. I need your Holy Spirit. I don't have the wisdom for the complexity of the issues. I need your discernment. I don't have the energy to stay in the game. I need your strength. Author and theologian Robert Mulholland says it this way. He says, often we expend amazing amounts of energy and resources to be in the world for God. But you see, we are called to be in God for the world. And that changes everything. It's learning how to be in a relationship with God and allowing him to transform us into the kind of person that reflects the presence of Jesus in the world. And this is a very different kind of power than just seeing a need and being smart enough to take action and hard enough working to take action on it. We're not just doing things in our own strength. We are being in Christ. Mulholland goes on in his writing to share this image of what transformation is. He says, our lives are like a pipe uh, where they're open on both ends and, and the love of God is trying to pour in one end and pour out through us to the world on the other end. And he says, yet when that pipe gets full of gunk, like past baggage of hurt, unforgiveness, disillusionment, overwork, tiredness, It closes off our ability to not only receive God's love, but closes off our ability to give love to the world. The Holy Spirit helps remove the gunk from our lives, that time when we're sitting with him or sitting with a friend and we realize we've got this disillusionment, we've got this baggage we need to deal with so that God's love can flow to us freely and to others. See, when this happens, living missionally, living more purposely becomes more natural and it requires less effort and it prevents burnout. 
God is not asking us to live purposefully at the expense of our souls. Spiritual transformation brings the discernment Paul had where he knew his focus. His focus was to be sent to those who hadn't heard God, where no church was yet established. And as we grow in discernment of what God is calling us to do, we don't take on things that we're not meant to do, that God has not asked us to do. We learn to say yes and no to the right things. God does not lead us into things that are more than we can bear. Lastly, and definitely not least, if you've already heard this, Paul emphasizes throughout this whole time the power of the Holy Spirit. He actually begins his whole talk talking, saying this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We overflow with passion and hope. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit that we're encountering on a regular basis. See, that doesn't sound like burnout. Sounds like a transformed life. Hope, joy, peace is a natural consequence of being connected relationally to God by the Holy Spirit. As you trust in God, hope overflows by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we review what Paul said in verse 18, it says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. Words, actions include the Holy Spirit showing up in our lives with miracles. Paul is encouraging us to live with an expectation of supernatural things happening because the Holy Spirit is present. We see this in the beginning of the church. In Acts 1, Jesus is risen from the dead. All the people are excited about how Jesus is alive and forgives sins and conquers death. And Jesus says to them, his followers, he says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And the church waited. And ten days later, the Holy Spirit came. And we see how the early church deepened because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit explicitly shows up 59 times in the book of Acts. And ever since, the Holy Spirit has continued to be at work throughout His people, throughout thousands of years. I mean, just think about Christianity. Christianity is the largest movement in the history of the world. In less than 300 years, this ragtag group turned into half of the people who lived in major Roman cities were followers of Jesus. For over 2,000 years, more nations and cultures and tribes have come to faith in Jesus so that there is no other movement on the face of the earth as big or as impactful as the church. But how did this happen? And how does it continue to work? I mean, think about it. This organization, the church, doesn't have a specific earthly leader or a headquarters. How does the church sustain itself? If we put seven Christians in a room, we'd have disagreement on so many things. And despite us, Christianity remains the biggest movement that has come into existence. One reasonable explanation for that is that God has been involved. God birthed the church and loves the church. The church could not exist. Christianity could not exist on ideas alone. It must only exist because of the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
So let's welcome the Holy Spirit more fully into our lives as a church and as individuals. Let's learn even more deeply how to listen to the Holy Spirit, to recognize when the Spirit's presence is moving and communicating and doing things through us so that we can be transformed as people and we can be empowered, each and every one of us, by the Holy Spirit to do things that are bigger than anything we could ever do on our own. See, you're never too young and you're never too old to ask for and receive God's purpose and direction for your life. Many of Jesus' disciples were mere teens when they joined Jesus. Paul, when he writes Romans, is in his 50s. His energy, I'm certain, was not as high as it was when he was in his 20s before his body had been beaten so many times. He didn't say, I deserve to retire and let younger ones take over. He didn't say, there's nothing for me to do, so let's move to Florida and pick up seashells. Paul had a fire in his belly. And he asked the Holy Spirit to ignite more fire in us. So let's ask the same thing. Ask the Holy Spirit for yourself to ignite the fire that God has for you, the passion and the purpose he has for you in the season you were in, whatever that looks like for you. Because the truth is, you can retire from your job, but you can't retire from your faith or your life. And Paul shows us how the older you become, the more helpful you can become. That's why I'm so grateful we have a multi-generational church. People in so many different seasons of life. We have young people and old followers of Jesus who are modeling living a life of investing in others for the long haul in winsome ways. So as we walk this out, let's, let's ask ourselves some questions. Maybe this week the question for you is, where am I with God? In my heart, am I feeling distant from God? Ask Him to come and show you about that. Come, come and take that away and, and become near to you and set some things in your life that will allow space for that to happen. Maybe ask yourself, am I doing so much that I'm constantly tired, feeling empty rather than living out of a place of being transformed and filled by God? So let God speak to you as well about the stuff or the gunk that's gotten in your tube of life that makes it hard for you to receive God's love or hard for you to give God's love. In what ways can, we encourage, can you encourage yourself this week to make room in your life to receive the love God has for you? And then just simply ask the Holy Spirit to reveal purpose. What does he have for you to do today, tomorrow, next week, next year. And that may be begin, begin for many of you by just thinking about what or who do you have a heart for? What stirs you on a consistent basis? What makes you say, I'd really like that to happen. I'd really like to do that. And if that doesn't come up with anything, if you're unsure, honestly, just step, help, step out and help with a need in the church or a need you see God addressing in, a, in the community. Just maybe volunteer through Warm or Out of Darkness or Chloe or LifeWise or End Poverty Plus or some other way. To just take a step and, into something you say, I, I could do that. Because the more you step out, 
the more you engage God's purposes, the more your purpose will be refined and will come into focus. And you will understand where God shows up through you and where he doesn't and where you should focus your time. So would you stand with me as we pray? Holy Spirit, what we've talked about this morning is a work that you do in each one of us individually. So I ask, Lord, that your Spirit would continue to work now for those who are listening who are tired because they're constantly running, constantly giving. Lord, I pray your Spirit would come to them in the quiet moments and, and fill them up. Encourage them. I pray that your Spirit through just speaking to them, through your word, through others, would speak to them and say, this is an area where I've gifted you. Say yes to this. Say no to this. Lord, for those among us who just struggle with that whole idea of purpose, feeling too big, too much, Lord, I pray that you'd come this week and you would give a glimmer of things that you have joy over in their life when they do, that you love to do through them, that they would connect with that sense of pleasure that you feel in those moments and that you would begin to shape on a day-by-day basis. This is what I've called you to be among the people I've placed you among. Lord, that we can all have the joy of being full in you, being loved by you, and giving that love away. Lord, as we turn our hearts now through this song to worship you, we just ask that your presence would come as we sing your praise, as we glorify you, and that you would continue your work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.